accepting the invitation of Jesus will cost you something. And in most cases, it will cost you everything. The call of Jesus is not for the faint of heart. Hey everyone, Michael popping in here on the beginning of this episode. I want to welcome you back to another episode of Elevate Retake. And today you're in for a special episode. You know, when life gets busy with school or work, it's important to take a break and to pray. And every year we have the opportunity to partner with Southwestern Adventist University for a week of prayer. It's a time of spiritual emphasis for our students and staff. We get together and we listen to amazing sermons, worship with amazing music, and have the opportunity to hear the voice of God from different speakers. We thought it'd be awesome to share these sermons with you. So in this new year, we hope that you enjoy episode one of the special series, A Month of Prayer. Welcome to Week of Prayer. Who's excited to be here? All right, Christian, I appreciate that. Everybody else by Friday, I expect that, okay? Uh, anybody feel like their schedule's a little maladjusted? Kind of got some weird things going on. I was telling uh, the class that I teach this morning, is the change in your schedule an annoyance? Or is it, somebody said amen, come on. <laughs> yes, it's annoying, I get it. Or is it by design? that God is orchestrating a space for you to connect with him and to connect with others. Let me tell you, there's been teams of people and a collective team of people, close to 30 individuals that have had this week in prayer since August, probably. And even before that, we were, we were making plans for this week, even last school year. And over the course of the past two weeks, that team has come together, hours in prayer and hours in work to provide a space and an opportunity for you to come and meet Jesus. And that's what this week of prayer is all about. So, infinite hope, a world of chaos, right? We're all looking for some type of hope. Maybe, just maybe, that professor is going to let something slide. Maybe, just maybe... He'll look at me or she'll look at me. Infinite hope, we're looking for it. I'm excited for this week. During the day, we're going to be diving into Luke chapter 14 through 16, all right? So those of you that like to read ahead, and I know everyone in this room is, is, a, is a student and a scholar, and you're ahead on all of your assignments, so you've got some extra space, right? Go ahead, if you've got some time this week, read ahead. Luke chapter 14 through 16 is what we're doing during the day, and then come Wednesday evening, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, the Beatitudes, all right? That's the context. That's where we're headed. And this morning, uh, I, I'm wondering if I can be honest with you. Would that be okay? Appreciate that. A few of you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like the passage we're studying today. Out of all of Scripture, there's a lot of warm fuzzies that I get when I hear about a God of love and grace and compassion. And I come to Luke chapter 14, where we're going to be today. And I invite you to turn in your Bibles there if you have them. Luke chapter 14. I come to a set of verses, and I don't like them. They pierce into my soul and begin to point things out in my life that I, I, I've got to do some work. And that's where we're headed today, Luke chapter 14. We're going to begin in verse 15 here in a moment. 
And here's the other thing. How many of you like expensive things? Okay, now be honest. Half, everyone, okay, yeah, a few of you, yeah, loud and proud. I see you in the back. Got your hand up. I appreciate that. Here's the thing. I like expensive things. And I'll, I'll tell on my wife here too, she likes expensive things as well. But here's something else that we hold in common. We really like expensive, expensive things when we can find them at bargain price. Amen? You can find, you know, you go to TJ Maxx, you go to Ross, and you pull that, that coat or that jacket or that, that pair of pants out, and the tag says, original price, 120 And then you see our price, 25 Praise be, right? That's a deal. Right there in that moment. We were even shopping yesterday. She, my wife is, is frugal. She likes, she has really good taste, but always trying to find things at a bargain price. And let me tell you, we can find some good things. But not every expensive thing found at bargain price is worth the price tag. And that's what we're going to be looking at. Luke chapter 14, verse 15 today. So if you've got your Bibles, let's turn there and begin with Scripture. Luke chapter 14, verse 15. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I've bought a piece of land and I need to go and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I've married a wife, and for that reason, I cannot come. Invitations go out to the wedding feast, to a feast set by the proprietor, and the excuses come in. And I would offer to you today that excuses equal a preoccupied mind. That there was something else going on that you felt was more important. And professor, that is why I cannot turn in my paper today. Excuses are just that. Excuses. You see, for this man, he's going to look at his land, but the property had already been purchased. He had already surveyed it. He already knew what it looked like. He just didn't want to go to the feast. Then there's the one who's going to go try out the yoke of oxen. He has already purchased those two and knows full well the capability of the animal. He is just trying to appease the person that he bought them from. And the guy who just got married, he's like, bro, (laughs) I'm not coming. I'm not coming. And what's interesting about these three different groups of people is that the invitation had already been given. They had already signed the RSVP. They said, we'll be there and I'm bringing my plus one. But something had gotten in the way. They had lost their focus. And maybe, just maybe, they thought to themselves that it was good enough to just be invited. Oh yeah, I heard the invitation. I got it in the mail. That must be good enough. But Jesus says, no, it is not good enough. The story continues, verse 21. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. And the slave said, master, what you've commanded has been done. And still there is room. There's always room for one more. Amen. In verse 23, the master said to the slave, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. I would offer to you today, Southwestern, that just because you've been invited does not mean that you'll make it to the banquet feast. There might be something that gets in the way. 
And the master, he's already got the food prepared. Ramen noodles, they've been microwaved. Chip bags, they've been opened. Come on, it's probably a little more fancy than that, right? But, you know, we're trying to, trying to make it relatable. He says, bring anybody, anybody that you can find. The highways and the hedges, the poor, the crippled, the lame, those who others think should not be invited, go ahead and bring them on in because they're a part of my dinner. And by the way, the highways and the hedges, this man is saying, go to the highest of the high and go to the lowest of the low. Anyone that will heed the invitation and, is, and come, please welcome them into the feast. Because you see, the gospel is supposed to go to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. But sometimes we hold on to that ticket to heaven, that invitation that's been extended. And you're like, oh, great, another week of prayer, another long week of appeals and everything. I just got to get to class or like I'm hungry or something. But we hold on to that ticket to heaven as if the ticket itself is enough. As if the invitation, oh, yeah, I was that week of prayer. I heard the invite. Okay, that's good enough. But no, 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 the servant goes out and he compels people to come in. The gospel is not best proclaimed by coercion and force. Yes, coercion and force and fear motivates. There is nothing more frightening than realizing you have a deadline tonight at 12 p.m. that you have not began. Yeah, some of you are like, oh, let me check, let me check uh, Canvas real quick. It'll motivate you, but it won't change your heart. It will not change your heart. And see, the thing is, you don't have to compel, you don't have to convince someone to purchase something they are already compelled to buy. And that's the thing about the society that we live in today. The marketers that are marketing to you, they don't care if you buy their products or not. They do, but what they want you to do is to live the lifestyle that they're promulgating. Guess where they got that? There's a guy named Jesus that came and taught some things and said, I want you to live the lifestyle, not just buy the product. Nike, Apple, Google, they want you to live in a particular way. That's what their invitation is, and they're ripping it right out of Scripture. You see, they're forming an identity. They're forming your identity. And what you put your focus towards, what you spend your time doing, is forming your identity. It's making you who you are today. And there's this group of people that sees this invitation to the dinner And they begin to follow Jesus. It's a metaphorical story, a parable. Maybe it happened or not. But there's this group of people that begins to follow Jesus in verse 25. Large crowds were going along with him. And he turned to them. He said, hold on, guys. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We can get excited. We can be like, man, everyone's invited to the feast. Fantastic. Clap and cheer. There's always room for one more. Yay. Jesus says, hold on. That invitation comes with a cost. Accepting the invitation of Jesus will cost you something. And in most cases, it will cost you everything. The call of Jesus is not for the faint of heart. And so Jesus then takes his disciples through a cost-benefit analysis. Some of you are like, great, we're going to go to organizational behavior and and micro and macroeconomics here. Come on, I just came out of that class. But here's what he says. For which of you, when he builds, uh, wants to build a tower in verse 28, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him. Verse 30 saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. 
Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for peace terms. He's waving the white flag. He says, don't hurt me. Verse 33, so then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possession. This text hurts. I don't like it. I don't like this portion of Scripture. Let's go ahead and just rip Luke chapter 13 out of the Bible and then everything else is going to be okay, right? Cognitively, you will disagree with that statement, but do you live that out on an everyday basis? We pick and choose which way we're going to go looking at the cost of discipleship. And we do this on a daily basis, right? I can't afford a girlfriend right now. I can't afford to get bad grades. I can't afford school. I've got to be able to count the cost. How much do I have to get on the final again to be able to keep the grade I want? You did it too. Come on. That was you once. Jesus finishes. Luke 14, verse 34 and 35. He says, therefore, salt is good. But even salt has be, uh, even if salt, but if even salt has become tasteless, let's go ahead and read it. What with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the new manure pile. It is to be thrown out. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus says you've got to count the cost. When you decide to follow me, it's either all in or all out. There is no middle ground. Salt can either be salty or it cannot. And if salt is not salty, what good is it? If chef in the cafeteria replaced all the salt shakers with, uh, or the salt packets with sand, how, how, how often would you be using those? Maybe once you dump it on your food and be like, oh, gross, let me go get another plate. And then forever after that, it's not doing the purpose for which it's been sent out. And see, there's a false comparison when we, when we look at God and the world and we have this Greek mentality that there's this duality that in, in some way that we can have both. That I can hold on to Jesus and I can hold on to the things of the world that I, that I really like, but it's going to stretch you and that's going to break you. It's a, it's a false dichotomy because when we see God and we see the world, we see a compromise. We're trying to find the middle ground that just maybe, just maybe, I, I can have a little bit of God and a little bit of the world and everything's going to be okay. As if we're standing in Taco Bell, looking up at the dollar menu and saying, can I have two bean burritos and some spicy uh, Fiesta cheesy potatoes? And uh, what's that? God? Yeah, God, out of sight of God on there. God is not an add-on to your life. He's not an extra class or an extracurricular event. He's not just something that you can, oh, I've got, I've got Jesus in my pocket. <laughs> Everything's good. No. You see, often we, we treat God like an accessory that we'll wear to Vespers. Some of y'all will catch that. It might be later. We treat God like an accessory. We accessorize him. Yeah, I got my, I got my God watch, my God shoes. You st- stroll into Vespers, a week of prayer, and as if you're on the red carpet, and, you're at, and everybody's like, you know, the paparazzi's flashing. And they're like, what are you wearing? Who are you wearing? Oh, God. <sighs> I'm, wearing, I'm wearing God to Vespers. It's not enough. 
You see, God is in whom we live and breathe and have our being. There is no us without God. We do not exist without him. He is the one who sustains us and provides for us. I can't just sprinkle a little God into the mix and call it good enough. In the 12th and 13th century, there is this group of crusaders known as the Knights Templar from the Catholic Church going around taking back the the Christian sites from Islamic rule. And legend has it that when they, before they would go to war, that the leader of the Knights Templar would march his army through water to baptize them in symbol. And these knights that are decked out in, in armor and swords and they're ready to go to battle, as they would walk into the body of water, they would pull their sword from their sheath and raise it up so that the sword would did not was not submerged beneath the water. As if to say, God, I'm giving you everything except for the violence that I'm about to commit. I want to give you my whole life, but this, this one thing I've been called to do, or I think I've been called to do, this sword, the, the, the command that I've been given, I, God, you can't, you can't touch that one. And you're like, come on, we don't, we don't wear armor, and we don't you know, walk around in, in those ways anymore. And who like, walks, decides to walk into the duck, the duck pond, right? That'd be kind of gross. But see, when we approach our spiritual lives, you might not have a sword that you raise up above the water, but maybe as Jesus has asked you to go full in and to be immersed in the Holy Spirit, you're holding up that, that credit card. Maybe you're holding up that relationship. Maybe you're holding up your sex ethic. Maybe you're holding up your, your clothes or your food or that entertainment habit or a political or theological or ideological position. And you say, God, you can have everything except this one thing that I'm keeping above the water. But here's the heart of what Jesus is pointing to in this scripture. When we do that, when we say, God, you can have everything, but we are cheapening the grace of God. To say that, God, you can't, you can't possibly cover that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the prolific writer and theologian, who was ultimately put to death during World War II, summed it up this way. What has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. You see, we cannot seek after the expensive grace of God at bargain price. It works for TJ Mass and Ross. Trust me, we were there yesterday. It still works. But when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. It will come at a cost. And now you're like, Pastor, like, hold up. Like, we're talking about, we're talking about infinite hope. This has kind of been a, been a, been a heavy message. It's, it's, it's weighing on my heart. Like, I, I feel you. I've been wrestling with this passage for the past week as I've been actively writing and thinking about what words to bring to you today. And I was broken before God and saying, God, what hope could we possibly have? And then the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear, you were bought with a price. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Not might be in you, might one day be in you, was in you. No, the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. 
Do you know that you're not your own? You have been bought with a price. You see, your worth, value, and beauty are not found within you. Your value is found in the length that God goes and has gone and will go to save you. And there's this idea in modern culture and time right now that says, be yourself. Look inside of you. Be the best version of yourself. And I'm going to tell you that that's not enough. Because it's not enough to hold on to the world and say, okay, what's best inside of me? Because we are broken. We're sinful human beings. We don't have anything to bring. And the best version of ourselves pales in comparison to the wonder and splendor of God to the point that he says, the best you got to offer is like dirty, bloody rags. Like a used tampon. That's the best you've got to offer. John Mark Comer in the book Live No Lives sums it up this way. To say yes to Jesus' invitation is to say no to a thousand other things. One yes equals a thousand no's. To say yes to Jesus is to say no to living by my own definition of good and evil. To spend my time and money however I want. To hyper-individualism, anti-authoritarianism, and full-tilt hedonistic pursuit of our day. It's a thousand tiny deaths that all lead up to one massive life. It's not a futile grasping for control, but the freedom of yielding to love. It's saying to Jesus, whatever, whenever, whatever, wherever, Jesus, I'm yours. And it's my prayer for our community today that we will come to know and understand the distance that Jesus was willing to go in order to save us. That we would find our worth, value, and beauty inside a God who died to save us. And the God that bids us come is a God that says, come and die. Because this self that you're promoting and leaning into, that's not enough for my kingdom. Count the cost. You do it in every other area of your life. Won't you do it with me? It's all or nothing can't have me on the side. And it's my prayer this week as we lean into the idea of infinite hope and, and talk about the pursuit of happiness from a, a biblical perspective. That our community and our campus, our church, you and me will be able to say this prayer, whatever, wherever, whenever, we're yours. Whatever wherever, whenever, God, we're yours. Listening back to this message, I, again, don't like the text I preached on. Not because it's, I just wanted to disregard it or something like that, but because it really shines a light in my own life, for me personally. But am I willing to pay the price of discipleship? Am I really willing to follow after Jesus? So I challenge you this week, spend some time quiet, alone with Jesus and give your life in complete surrender to him. Weigh the cost. Do the cost-benefit analysis. What does your life look like with Jesus and what does it look like without? 
pray that God would give you insight into how to follow Jesus well. Thanks for listening to this episode of Elevate Retake. 